Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. Welcome to our first episode on the fourth and final part of the Catechism. So, before we get started, I want to let you know about some developments. So, I am really, 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 really passionate about making the faith accessible to everyone, particularly to young people and to non-Catholics. And I've been hearing from people around the world who are in the process of converting, who are listening to the podcast, which is amazing. And we are at the point now where Crash Course is growing and there is potential to do more. So for instance, I would love to turn the episodes on the catechism into a book. I would love to make video content alongside the audio. There is so much that we could do. However, right now, I just don't have the resources to do those things. Literally, at the moment, this podcast is just me in my apartment with my catechism on the weekends. So... I have created a Patreon. Now, this podcast is a passion project, right? It is not a source of income for me. However, I'm realizing that if I want it to reach more people, I need more resources than I currently have. So I will put a link to the Patreon in the show notes, or you can also just Google it. If you would like to support the podcast so that I can devote more time to it and also pay someone to help out, then you can go to Patreon and donate just five bucks a month. Okay, so that's that. Now, let's get to the episode. So, you know how in the last episode we talked about how the Ten Commandments end at the beginning? Well, it's the same with the catechism, right? It ends at the beginning with the heart. Throughout the whole catechism, we've been looking at all of the things that we believe as Catholics. So the truths of the faith, the you know morality, etc. However, all of that knowledge means absolutely nothing if we don't have an actual relationship with God. Pope Benedict XVI writes that, Being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. So our faith, it's not just a set of ideas, right? It's a relationship with a person. And the way that we develop that relationship is through prayer. Peter Kraft puts it really strongly. He says, one simply cannot be a Christian without prayer. Now, this brings us to the question, what is prayer? (laughs) And that might sound like a bit of a silly question, you know, like prayer means talking to God, obviously. However, that is not quite true, or at least that's not the whole picture. Often we think of prayer as words that we say, right? Like the the Our Father or the Hail Mary or those spontaneous words that we offer to God during our day. And of course, it's true, right? Words are really important, but they're only important insofar as they express something deeper that is going on in our hearts and minds. Prayer is the movement of the heart and the mind towards God. Words are simply an expression of that prayer. St. Therese of Lisieux puts it like this. She says, For me, prayer is a surge of the heart. It is a simple look turned towards heaven. It is a cry of recognition and of love, embracing both trial and joy. Now, 
Why is it important that we distinguish between words and the action of the heart? Well, because sometimes we can find ourselves, quote unquote, praying, but we're not actually praying. We're doing precisely what Jesus told us not to do in Matthew chapter six, heaping up empty phrases. And we might be doing that without even realizing it. You know, like we can all hear those words of the gospel when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. We can hear that and be like, yes, yes, that is so true. And then literally, I mean, maybe you don't do this as much as I do, but for me, it's like five minutes later, I find myself in the car, like smashing out a rosary while I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch. And maybe I can get through an entire day like that, you know, saying prayers while my mind and my heart are actually somewhere else. And I can get to the end of the day and I'm kind of like, oh, great, tick, awesome. I prayed a bunch today and I can give myself a little pat on the back for being a good Catholic. But maybe despite all of those words, despite all my praying, maybe there wasn't actually one single moment when I looked God in the eye and said, I love you and I meant it. Because that's what prayer is ultimately, right? It's looking at God and loving him and meaning it. It doesn't matter how simple or how complex the prayer is, even if we're just saying, Jesus, I love you, or even just the name Jesus. If my heart and my mind is there, that is when I'm truly praying. The Catechism says in point 2562, if our heart is far from God, the words of prayer are in vain. Now, to clarify, we have to be careful not to confuse the heart with feelings, right? When we say our heart has to be in it, that doesn't mean that we have to feel really close to God. In fact, I might feel absolutely nothing when I pray. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not praying from the heart. The important thing isn't my emotions, it's my will and my intellect. Basically, it means showing up, being really present in my prayer. So we can think of it like this. Imagine that I'm on the phone to my sister, right? And she's telling me all about her day. And I'm sitting there on the phone being like, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. Great. And I'm actually totally distracted by the jigsaw puzzle that I'm doing. Not that I'm drawing on real life examples. Sorry, Anna. (laughs) In a situation like that, I'm not really connecting with my sister, right? I'm just going through the motions of a conversation and my heart isn't really there. By comparison, Say that I really am present to my sister on the phone, right? I'm listening to her. I'm asking questions. I'm telling her about my day. I mean, sometimes in those situations, there aren't even words. You know, maybe we're just both on the phone, wandering around our respective houses, making dinner and just silently hanging out. During those phone calls, I don't necessarily feel this like emotional surge of love and connection with my sister. I mean, I might, I often do, but that's not how I would measure whether or not it was a good conversation. The measure of a good conversation is how present we were to each other. And it's the same with God. True prayer is based on that deep, genuine desire of the heart and the mind to seek him and to love him. Now, None of this means that using words when we pray is a bad thing, okay? It is a good thing to use words. We can and should use words and gestures. And if we find ourselves using empty words, the solution isn't to ditch them, but instead to try to just bring our minds and our hearts back into the picture. Now, the other thing that the Catechism tells us in point 2564 is that prayer is a covenant relationship, So what does that mean? 
Well, there's an article on Catholic Answers that sums it up really well. It says, a contract is an exchange of services, whereas a covenant is an exchange of persons. So in a covenant, you give yourself to me and I give myself to you entirely. So ideally, this is what happens when we pray, right? God gives himself to me and I give myself totally to him in return. Point 2562 says, whether prayer is expressed in words or gestures, it is the whole man who prays. Now, this kind of prayer is obviously more demanding than, you know, prayer where we're just like rattling off a bunch of words and zoning out. It requires so much more of us. But the rewards are also so much greater. The reward is a relationship with love itself that we simply cannot achieve if our heart isn't in it. So when I pray, my whole self should be present and involved. Now, you might hear that and think, oh, gosh, Caitlin, that sounds like a really nice ideal. But honestly, I mean, we live in the 21st century, right? Like we're surrounded by distractions. And as well as that, you know, I'm not a cloistered nun. Like I don't have the luxury of just switching off and just giving myself totally to God in prayer. Maybe I'm, you know, a mom or the CEO of a company. I have to live my life. That is a great point. OK, we are human. And our prayer will not always be perfect. Sometimes the only time I can say the rosary is, you know, when I'm in the car and I'm sort of half focused on the road. Or maybe sometimes I can only snatch five minutes to pray before someone comes and needs something from me. Now, that's okay. The point isn't that you absolutely nail it every time and that your prayer is always totally perfect and focused and you didn't get distracted at all. I mean, of course, that's what we strive for, but realistically, it's not always going to happen. And if you're like me and you have ADHD, maybe it will never happen. (laughs) The main thing, though, is that we are making a genuine effort to connect with God from the heart. We're not just settling for empty words. So we can think of it like a relationship, right? Say that, you know, you have a couple who in the early stages of their dating life, they have all of this time to kind of sit around and chat and then they get married and they have a couple of kids and suddenly they're both working and they're both really busy. Obviously, they don't have the luxury anymore of just like sitting down for hours and hours every day and just spending quality time together. But that doesn't mean that they kind of, you know, throw their hands in the air and stop trying to genuinely connect. It just means that the way that they connect will change. So maybe it's a text message or a phone call during the day just to say, hi, I love you. Or maybe it's making an effort to spend half an hour every evening after the kids have gone to bed, just having a glass of wine and catching up on the day. So it's the same with us in our relationship with God. We need to make a consistent effort to look him in the eye throughout the day, to give him a smile or a little act of love, to put aside some time to spend with him. It also means turning our work, all of that busyness, turning it into prayer. If we are offering our work to God, if we are putting our heart into it for his sake, then that work, just like our words, becomes an expression of the movement of my heart towards God. It becomes a form of prayer. 
And if I do that, then I can literally spend my whole day praying, even if I'm not actively thinking about God. So there's a quote from St. Jose Maria. He says, an hour of study for a modern apostle is an hour of prayer. So one way that I can turn my whole day into an offering of prayer is simply to say what's called a morning offering at the beginning of the day, which just means that I offer my whole day to God when I first get up. That way, even if I sort of forget about him for hours at a time, I can rest easy because I know that I have already given everything that I do to him in my heart. Now, all of this obviously requires effort on our part. Point 2725 says that prayer always presupposes effort. However, it's super important to remember that, yes, we have to make effort, but ultimately prayer isn't a skill. Okay, It's not a technique that I acquire. Instead, it is a gift that comes from God. It doesn't come from me. Point 2567 says, in prayer, God's initiative of love always comes first. Our own first step is always a response. So in other words, before we can pray, God first gives himself to us. Now this makes sense, right? Because he's God. (laughs) He is love itself and truth itself, right? So he is the one who is bringing all the good stuff to the table. All of the love and the insight and the growth in our relationship is going to come from him. And it's not going to come from me. My job is just to cooperate with his grace, right? And to offer myself in return. Point 2559 says, only when we humbly acknowledge that we do not know how to pray as we ought, are we ready to receive freely the gift of prayer. So when we pray, we need to approach God with humility, to be receptive to hearing his word, receiving his love, right? Listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit rather than trying to run the show. So if I come into my prayer, you know, all guns blazing, thinking it's all up to me and being like, all right, God, I'm going to pray so good. You just watch me go. (laughs) I'm not going to get very far. (laughs) It's like a little kid forcing his dad to let go of the bike when he doesn't know how to ride it. We're going to fall over pretty quickly. So we need to rely on God's grace and not on ourselves when we pray. Now, the catechism goes on to say That God calls absolutely every single person on earth to prayer. Not just Christians, right? Every human being is called to prayer. And in fact, we all have that yearning for connection with him buried deep inside us. And we can actually see it when we look around us, right? And the way that people these days, everyone seems to be drawn to things like meditation or even things like manifesting as deeply flawed as that practice is. It is a sign of the fact that people are looking for prayer, right? And when we see that, we can help our friends to interrogate that desire and to go a bit deeper to ask, okay, what am I really looking for here? Am I really talking to the universe or is there something else going on? Because maybe what they're doing, it might be flawed, but it can be a first step towards prayer. And in the meantime, God is there waiting for each and every person, yearning for them, hoping that they will turn towards him and accept his love. 
Point 2567 says, man may forget his creator or hide far from his face. He may run after idols or accuse the deity of having abandoned him. Yet the living and true God tirelessly calls each person to that mysterious encounter known as prayer. One of my favorite books of all time. I feel like I say that about every book, but that's just because I love a lot of books. (laughs) So one of my favorites is a book by Thomas Hardy called Far From the Madding Crowd. And in this book, there is this woman, the protagonist called Bathsheba, who is really beautiful, but she's also totally vain and completely immature and a bit of a flibbity gibbet. And then this farmer, Gabriel Oak, he falls in love with her and he proposes to her and she refuses him despite the fact that he's like literally a saint. And then he just has to like stand back and watch while she goes off and basically ruins her own life. Like she behaves like an absolute numbnut and Gabriel is just there in the background, like looking out for her, protecting her and just waiting for the day when she wakes up to herself. That's literally what God is like with us, right? It's a love story. We're all down here running around and ignoring him and doing our own thing. And he's just waiting there watching us. It's like Mr. Thornton in North and South. Look back at me. (laughs) That's God, right? Being like, look at me. I love you. Talk to me. Let me love you. Now, Prayer has been part of humankind's relationship with God ever since the dawn of time. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. However, in the New Testament, Jesus reveals to us the fullness of what prayer can be, and he becomes our perfect model for prayer. So in the Old Testament, we see things like Abel and Noah making offerings to God. We see Abraham and Jacob showing faith and perseverance and trust in their prayer. The Catechism also points out that Abraham's prayer is expressed first by deeds. So Abraham gives us an example of prayer that is manifested not just in words, but also in action by doing the will of God. Moses shows us intercessory prayer, praying for other people when he prays for the chosen people. Moses also demonstrates contemplative prayer. So in Exodus 33:11, it says, "The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend." David shows us the prayer of a king, right? Who acts as an example of prayer to his people and he prays for them and for all the generations to come. The prophets teach the people how to go beyond the words and rituals and pray from the heart. And then finally, we have the Psalms, which the Catechism in point 2596 calls the masterwork of prayer in the Old Testament. It says, The Psalms are an essential and permanent element of the prayer of the church. They are suitable for men of every condition and time. So, If we are looking for inspiration for prayer, we can always go to the Old Testament and particularly to the Psalms, right? We can use them as material or fuel for our prayer. However, it's in the New Testament, as the Catechism puts it in point 2598, the drama of prayer is fully revealed to us in the word who became flesh. So Jesus becomes the ultimate model of prayer. 
Now, the beautiful thing is that Jesus doesn't discard the prayer of the Old Testament, right? Instead, he perfects it. So point 2599 says, the son of God learns to pray from his mother. He learns to pray in the words and the rhythms of the prayer of his people in the synagogue at Nazareth and the temple at Jerusalem. But his prayer springs from an otherwise secret source, filial prayer. Okay, what does that mean? Well, let's summarize it. In other words, all of those forms of prayer in the Old Testament, Jesus embraces them, right? He doesn't discard anything, but he also adds this other dimension, which is filial prayer. So in other words, the prayer of a child, of a son or a daughter. Jesus is the one who teaches us to call God Father. Through his death and resurrection, we truly become children of God. And we talked about this in episode 18, if you want to revisit that. Now, this means that like Jesus, we can also pray to God, not just as created subjects, but as children. Now, what does it mean to pray as a child of God? Well, we can think about like the way that we act with our parents, right? There is this added layer of intimacy and closeness in the way that we relate to our mum and dad. We can ask for the things that we need with a kind of confidence, right? We can pray with faith because we know that they love us and they'll do anything for us. So Jesus tells us to seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. He also says in Luke chapter 11, is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for a fish, would give a snake instead? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now here, Jesus is giving us an assurance that God, as our Father, will give us anything and everything that is good for us. Now, that's a really important qualifier, right? We're talking about anything that is good for us. God is not like Violet Beauregard's dad in Willy Wonka, right? You know, where she's like, Daddy, I want a pony. And he's like, okay, sure, sweetie. No, (laughs) that is not good parenting to give a child whatever they want indiscriminately. Okay, God doesn't do that. And that can be helpful for us to remember because sometimes we can kind of think, well, you know, Jesus said, seek and you will find. And right now I am seeking to win the lottery and it's not happening. So clearly God was lying. Okay, no, God is not an ATM, right? He is a father. And like all good fathers, he will always, 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 always give us what is good good. He will never withhold something from us that is good for us. The only time he would withhold something is if he's only doing it so that he can obtain a greater good for us. Now, we might hear that and think, oh, okay, well, if that's the case, then what's the point of praying, right? If God already knows what we need and he will always give us what is good, then why do we need to pray? Well, There are many reasons why we should pray for the things that we need. We don't have time to go into all of them here. We will go into them in later episodes, though, and I'll put a link to an article in the show notes that explains some of them. But for now, the thing that the catechism focuses on is that prayer is as much and sometimes more about conforming ourselves to God's will 
as it is about obtaining the things from God that we want. Point 2611 of the Catechism says, The prayer of faith consists not only in saying, Lord, Lord, but in disposing the heart to do the will of the Father. And here we come back to something we said earlier, right? That we need to approach prayer with a humble and receptive attitude. We're not just kind of marching in, demanding the things that we need and thinking that we know what's best for ourselves, right? God is good. He is goodness itself. He is love. He knows what we need. So when we pray for something that we want, yes, we're asking him for those things that we need, but we're also asking him to help us conform ourselves to his will. So we can follow the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? When we ask for something, yes, we make our petition, but then immediately afterwards we say, but not my will, but yours be done. Okay, now a few other lessons that we can learn from the way that Jesus prays. Firstly, we see that Jesus often draws apart to pray in solitude. So that's from point 2602 of the Catechism. Jesus often goes away on his own. He often like goes up a mountain and it's often at nighttime, right? When it's quiet and there are no distractions, he takes a step away from all of the craziness and he just spends time in prayer one-on-one with God the Father. Now, this is so important for us, especially today, to have times where we switch off, right? Where we put our phones on airplane mode and we just sit down and we spend time with him. If this is something that you don't already do, I highly recommend putting aside at least 10 minutes every day. And it's best to like make a a kind of consistent time where you do it, right? Put aside time to just sit down and spend one-on-one time with God. We also see that Jesus prays before all of the decisive events in his life. So in other words, before all of the big things, he always goes to his father first. So before calling the 12 apostles, before his crucifixion, before raising Lazarus from the dead, right? Jesus first prays. And this is something that we also can imitate. There's this quote from St. Jose Maria that says, never make a decision without stopping to consider the matter in the presence of God. The catechism also tells us that Jesus includes all men in his prayer. So To have a heart like our Lord's heart means not just praying for ourselves and for the things that matter to us. It also means taking on the joys and the sufferings of the people around us and really doing this in in a deep way, not just in a superficial way of being like, oh, like hashtag praying for you. No, really, truly making the concerns of others our own. We see this in the gospel, right? When, When our Lord weeps for Lazarus, when he shows deep, deep empathy and love for other people, we can imitate him in that by really taking on the concerns of the people around us. And it's like a self-perpetuating cycle, right? The more that I pray for others, the bigger that my heart will grow. And the bigger my heart is, the more I'll then pray for others. The Catechism also points out that Jesus often begins his prayers with thanksgiving. 
Now, that's an important one because I feel like Thanksgiving is an element of prayer that we often forget about these days. We're like the 10 lepers who were cured and then only one of them came back to say thank you. Jesus foregrounds the importance of giving thanks by placing it at the beginning of his prayers. The Catechism points out that Jesus' prayer, characterized by thanksgiving, reveals to us how to ask. Before the gift is given, Jesus commits himself to the one who, in giving it, gives himself. The giver is more precious than the gift. So in other words, the most important thing isn't that God gives us the thing that we've asked for. The most important thing is that God gives us himself, which he will always do. That's why we can always say thank you, even before we've seen the tangible outcome of our prayers. There's this anecdote that I remember reading about once, and I couldn't find the original anecdote, so I apologize if I butcher this. But basically, the story is that um, there was this guy who came to Mother Teresa, and he was in some kind of crisis, and he asked her to pray for him. And Mother Teresa prayed with him, and then immediately after they finished praying, was like, all right, now let's go to the church and give thanks to God for answering our prayer. And this guy was like, but he hasn't. What? We just prayed. And she was like, yeah, I know, but he will. (laughs) She was just so confident. She had total faith, right? And that having that attitude of like immediate thanksgiving is a way of being like, Jesus, I trust you. And I also believe that the greatest good that you could give me is yourself, which you will always give me. Now, finally, before we wrap up, one other place where we can go to see a pretty perfect example of prayer is the prayer of Mary. In particular, we can look at the Annunciation, when the angel tells Mary that she is going to be the mother of God, and her response is, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Now, remember, right at the beginning of the episode, we said that prayer is a covenant of total self-giving. And this is a perfect example of that total free gift of self in prayer. I mean, think about it, right? Being the mother of God was totally not on Mary's agenda, right? That was not part of her plan. It would have been so easy for her to respond to the angel's message with frustration or with confusion or even with anger, right? She could have been like, what the heck, God? Like, I didn't ask for this. You're putting me in personal danger with this pregnancy. I have no idea how this is going to play out and I'm going to suffer so much. But instead, all Mary says is fiat or be it done, right? She freely totally submits herself to the will of God. It's the perfect prayer because God gives himself to her, like literally he becomes her son, and then she gives her entire self to him in return. And then later we see at the wedding feast of Cana, Mary turns to the servants and she says to them, do whatever he tells you. So she invites others to totally submit themselves to the will of Jesus, and she trusts that whatever he does will be for their good. So we can go to Mary and we can ask her to increase our faith and to teach us how to pray. Okay. That's all we have time for today. Woohoo! In our next episode, we're going to continue this discussion by looking a little more closely at different kinds of prayer. Awesome. Sick one. I can't wait. Okay. Have a fantastic fortnight and I will talk to you later. Okay. Bye.